Good morning, everyone. Welcome. You can uh, grab your seats. As you're sitting down, you can either, again, go to our live, live page and click the link to find all the scriptures, um, or you can open your Bible, and we're in Ecclesiastes. We are in Ecclesiastes, uh, we'll be in chapter 10. We're working our way through the book. We have a couple of weeks left. Um, just as a reminder, Ecclesiastes is a book written by King Solomon of the Old Testament, the richest king ever to maybe exist in the world, but definitely in God's people's kingdom, so to speak. And he also uh, was one of the wisest men. He was given supernatural wisdom by God. He wrote Song of Solomon. He wrote Proverbs. He wrote Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is his last book. I say this every week. Song of Solomon was all about passion. Proverbs was, wow, passion doesn't work. I need to do some wise things in life. That's why we have Proverbs. Ecclesiastes is when Solomon realizes it's all meaningless and pointless. And that's Ecclesiastes. And the whole book is laid out, and Solomon is realizing that he's coming to the end of his life, and he's lived with a lot of passion, he's lived with a lot of wisdom, but he hasn't lived with a lot of fear of God and obeying God. And now he's got to warn his nation, he's got to repent, and there's not time for him to fix it, right? He's got 700 wives and 300 concubines from foreign nations. God told them not to intermarry with foreign nations. You need to marry believers. People who believed the same and raised children the same, that's what he, he told them to do, or there were going to be consequences to that, and Solomon is experiencing that. And so he writes the book of Ecclesiastes as the warning. At the end of the book, he even says this, he says, when all has been hurt, so he's the wisest man, he's heard it all, he's seen it all, you know, he, he's done it all, he's, even in the book of Ecclesiastes it says that he pursued every one of his passions, and when he comes to the very end of the book, he says the conclusion of the matter, in other words, the conclusion of the matter of life itself is to fear God, that's to be in awe and reverence, God is mighty, He is holy, He is awesome, He is glorious, and keep His commands. Because this is what's appropriate for all of human beings, all of humanity. So Solomon comes to the end of his life having built an empire, having everything, and he comes to the end of his life and he realizes, I missed it. I missed that it's really simple. Just be in awe of God, and man, just do what he says, because it's worth it. And I wish I would have listened to that a long time ago. And so you may be sitting there successful. There are a lot of people who read Ecclesiastes, and there are a lot of people that read Ecclesiastes when they're down, and they read it and they think, wow, this is encouraging that someone else was down like this. And, but very few wealthy people read Ecclesiastes and ask themselves the question, have I been living a foolish life like Solomon? And that's what we're going to look at today. Wise or a fool? Wise or a fool? Because Solomon realizes after having everything, and everyone would have said, look, Solomon is so wise, and look at all he's built, and that's the way to live, and that's the way to do life, and that's the way to get what you want, and that's the way to do things. And Solomon's saying, I was a fool. I, I, I was so foolish. And see, we love that. We love to look at people that think like, like, oh, they must have life figured out. They're healthy, they're wealthy, things are going well, they have no problems. And Solomon's like, no, they may be fools. Complete fools. Living for the things of this world, enjoying the things of this world, and not thinking about whether they believe in God, fear God, and whether it's worth obeying Him unless they get something in this world for it. And Solomon is writing, and he realizes this is the case. You see, 
Wisdom will not help you avoid the hurt and pain in life. It won't. Sometimes it brings more hurt and pain, right? When you're the wise person and you do the right thing and you don't want to do the right thing and you know the right thing's going to turn out badly when you do the right thing and you're going to say the right thing and people are going to hate you, it's like we tend to not do the right thing. We tend to say, okay, I'll just do the foolish thing because I don't want to deal with the fallout of doing the wise thing. So I'll just do the foolish thing so I can get by and avoid things. And that's exactly what we have to be careful of. See, our world around us constantly is promising that if you live a wise life, you'll get all this stuff. Everything will turn out great. Everything will be fine. And that's just not the case on this side of eternity. And Solomon says it all the way through the book. He uses that phrase, under the sun. Under the sun. And then every once in a while he says, under heaven. Right? And if we're honest, we're way more concerned about under the sun than we are under heaven. We're way more concerned. So is Solomon. That's why he writes the book. He's like, I've been so concerned about under the sun, I missed under the heaven. I wasn't concerned about eternity. He said, God's put eternity in the hearts of men. And instead they ignore it. He said, we're all schemers, just scheming to get what we want. He goes, that was me. And so the question for us today is, are you wise or are you a fool? And how do you know? Because if the wisest richest man in the world saw how foolish he was, then you better be careful what you define wisdom as, right? And you better not declare yourself wise and declare yourself better just because you've done a lot of stupid things that have made you a poor fool. So be careful because it isn't about the results. It's not about the, it's about something bigger, And Solomon is desperately coming to the end of the book and he has been giving some teachings and now he kind of does some Proverbs. He lays out kind of some wisdom things and he like barrages us with some things. And there's a point to it all. And the point to it all is he's saying, look, here's some some wisdom I'm going to dump on you and some things that you need to see are foolish. So Ecclesiastes 9.16 at the end, he says, and I said, wisdom is better than strength, but the wisdom of the poor man is despised. And his words are not heeded. The calm words of the wise are heeded more than the shouts of a ruler over fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. You see, Solomon earlier was writing about a poor man who saved a city. When the wise people were all trying to figure out how to keep the city, the the poor man knew the wise thing to do before God to save them. But then the poor man is forgotten because, oh, well, thanks a lot. Appreciate that. Move on. It's kind of like, employment. (laughs) There's a lot of wise people working in your your jobs and around you that do the right thing and they're never recognized, but it seems like the people at the top who do the wrong thing and never get caught are the ones that get the recognition. Solomon's like, yep, that's kind of the way it works. Welcome to eternity. Welcome to life on planet earth. And so here you have it. He says, look, wisdom is better than strength. Do you believe that? Do you believe that wisdom is better than strength? I think most of us would say, Well, sometimes, but if I had to really choose between being really wise or being really ripped and buff, I might have to rethink that one, you know? Can I have both? Maybe, if you're doing it wisely, (laughs) right? If it's not with a false motive. He goes on, he says, the poor man is despised. We don't even consider the words of the poor. Why? Why? Because we don't want to be poor. 
So why would I listen to a poor person? I don't want what they got. No need to listen to some poor guy. My, my grandparents died poor. My parents are going to die poor. I'm so glad I listened to them. I'm so glad others listened to them. And their lives were saved and spared. Jesus died poor. He was raised poor. You know what we did to him? We killed him. We didn't like his wisdom. We didn't like how he lived his life, how he came into the world, and he was despised and rejected. And we looked at that verse last week. Now, does that mean we're supposed to all be poor? No. God had a lot of rich people in the Bible. Like He, he gives wealth. He's generous. But we can't define our life by that. And Solomon realizes he's been defining his entire life by how strong, how great his empire, look at what all I have. And he's come to the end and he goes, it's all meaningless. It's all going to disappear. It's just, it's all fleeting. It doesn't matter. What have I been chasing? And he looks and he says, wisdom is even better than weapons of war. Really? It's better to be wise than have some nukes? I think I like that we have nukes. I'm just saying. Because it keeps anybody from bombing us. Right? Like there's, I like that. But if you got nukes and you got dumb people running the government, yeah, wisdom would be better than having nukes. It could go badly. There's a war going on in Europe right now with a kind of semi-crazy guy running the show who might just drop a nuke because he wants to. And the fallout of that would be a lot of foolishness. You see, Solomon is desperately trying to get us to see some simple things. And then this is what he says. It's interesting that he says, wisdom is better than weapons of war. And then he says this. Look at this. But one president can destroy much good. I mean, one sinner can destroy much good. One guy with the football can push the button and it's all over. Doesn't matter how much you've lived for. Doesn't matter how wealthy you are. Doesn't matter how rich you are. Doesn't matter all the good stuff you've done. It's gone. By one fool. Now the question is, do we see that we're that fool? Because Solomon's writing this recognizing he's lived the fool. And he's recognizing the fact that I built all this empire, but now I realize that all my sins are destroying my people. And that the empire is going to be ripped apart after me, which it happens. And the people go into slavery just a few generations later. It's a disaster. And at the time, everybody thought Solomon was doing it right. Everybody thought, this is, man, this is so good. Things are going so well. Inflation's down. Jobs are flowing. Man, this is, this is the definition of God is with us. And Solomon's like, nope. I've got 700 wives and 300 concubines by foreign nations, and I have not feared God and obeyed him. And so before we cast stones at others, we need to ask ourselves, what are the areas of our lives that we keep destroying because one sinner, one, one dumb, you are one dumb decision but to wreck your life and everyone's life around you. You're one dumb decision away. We all are. Just one. To wreck everything. Every day. Solomon is saying exactly. He says, dead flies make a perfumer's oil ferment and stink. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. Just a little folly, just a little foolishness will outweigh any wisdom or honor you have. Yep. If you're a pastor and you're a husband, you have a huge moral failure, 
How many people are reading your books and coming to you for wisdom after that? I mean, they might in 20 or 30 years after a generation dies off and a new generation wants to hear what you have to say and you say the things they want you to hear, you say, and so they promote you again. Because we love to ear ticklers that tell us what we want to hear. You see, dead flies can make a perfumer's oil ferment. Perfume was something that was very hard to make in these days. Very costly, very time-consuming. It was a huge process. And Solomon's saying, if one little fly flies in the ointment and dies, and it's over. Doesn't matter you put in all the work. Doesn't matter you raise the tree and scrape the resin. None of that matters. It's all done. It's just, it's just to be thrown out. It's garbage. Jesus said, you know, if, if you're light or if you aren't salty anymore, then you're thrown out to be trampled. Don't let your light be put out. You see, Solomon is saying, look, there are these simple things. Wisdom is better, but listen, you have to have the right kind of wisdom, the kind of wisdom that's not looking to get rich and to be popular and to have strength. You have to have the kind of wisdom that recognizes that you're probably going to live and be seen by the world as poor. That you don't know what you're doing. You don't have the right investments. You don't have this. You don't have that. You don't know you didn't that. That's what you're going to be looked at if you live a wise life. They're going to look at you and think you're nuts. One of the greatest examples of this in all of our culture is one verse. It's, it's one where Jesus or where God says the, the borrower is slave to the lender. Oh, I'm not a slave. I'm, I have passive income. I got my real estate worked out. It's, it's all good. I'm not, I'm not a slave with all that debt that I have. Oh, no, no, no. It's, I, it's all flowing. It's working. Well, God says you're a slave. Just admit it. I'm a slave because I'm in debt. I, I'm a slave to the person I borrowed from. In other words, I can't make decisions to do what God tells me to do without thinking about the fact I made a covenant with someone and I have to pay it back. I'm always going to have to live with that because God says to keep your vows. Is it wrong to be in debt? Nope, it's not wrong to be in debt. You can be in debt. It's wrong to think that debt is good. It's not good. It means you're enslaved. You're enslaved. That's what it means. And yet, a simple verse like that, I tell you that, and all of a sudden, you know and I know, there are wheels are turning. Yeah, but this, but you know, but then, but, and but, 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 but. I didn't say you couldn't be in debt. I just said you need to tell people you're a slave. That's it. I'm enslaved to the federal government. Why? Because I went and got an education and I'm a slave now. And I got to pay it back. Mortgage, car, whatever. Like, yep, I'm going into slavery. Don't say, oh, God just worked this out so beautifully. He blessed me with so much debt. Thank you, Lord. No, you made a decision. You took an oath. Now you've got to live with it. That is the most radical thing now in our culture. And, and there's a thousand other examples I could give of simple scriptures that God gives that we ignore to our own peril. And we won't just admit what's real. We've said in our church, if we ever need to build a building and we don't have the money and we can't raise all the money, we will ask you to join us in slavery to Old National Bank or whoever else we take a loan from. That will be our building campaign slogan. It will not be God can do, imagine it will be more great than we could ever think or imagine through Old National Bank, who we're enslaved to. We'll just be honest with you. 
We think we need to be enslaved to them for the next 7 to 10 to 15 years for what God wants us to do. So we're going to actually ask you to all become slaves with us and commit to slavery. That's what God asked his people all through the Old Testament. And Solomon is saying, that's wisdom. That is not foolish talk. Foolish talk is, it's all good, it's wonderful. No, wise talk is, this is what God says. This is what's true. I recognize I'm making this decision. I think it's the right thing to do. It doesn't look wise, but I think, and and we walk through that honestly with one another. That's why we need the word of God. God says this, faithful, available. This is what we talk about in our church. We always talk about we want people to be farts for Jesus. That's what we want. Farts for Jesus. Faithful, available, real, teachable, and surrendered. Like, we want people who are faithful to God and his word. They fear God and obey him. That are available. Because if you aren't available and you fill your life up with all this stuff, then you're never available for God. You can never go. If you've got so many responsibilities and debts and things you owe, you're not available for God to use because he's going to make you keep your oaths. To be real. To be real is just to say what's true. Like, we just want to have a real conversation and not try to spin it and cover it up and, you know, make it look better. Put some lipstick on that pig. It's not a pig. It's my wife. No, it's still a pig. Like, teachable. We should be teachable to one another. Teachable to others. Don't just chase the teachers you want. Allow yourself to think and go to God's word to compare all teachings, even mine this morning. Go to God's word. And then surrender. At the end of the day, we have to surrender ourselves to God and people. And you know what? They're going to ask you to die. God's going to ask you to die. People are going to ask you to die. And we give our life because Christ gave his. You see, that's what we talk about. The verse that we use when we talk about being a fart for Jesus, there's a reason for this. It's 2 Corinthians. It says, but thanks be to God, Paul, who always puts us on display. Remember we talked about perfume and the ointment? He puts us on display in Christ and through us spreads the aroma of the knowledge of God in every place. Right? Be a fragrant fart for Jesus. Like there it is, right? I mean, and then he says, among those for God, look at this, for to God we are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved. You see that? For to God we are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Those who are perishing, we stink. Sometimes they smell something, they go, that smells good. And the same with those who are being saved. Sometimes when you approach someone who's saved and you confront them, they're like, that stinks, I don't want to hear that. Leave me alone. And other times it's a fragrant aroma of, oh, that's what I was looking for. Then he goes on and he says, to some we are an aroma of death leading to death, but to others, an aroma of life leading to life. And who is competent for this? If you think you have enough wisdom, if you don't think you're a fool, you're going to be in trouble because you are not competent for that task. You can't make yourself smell good. You stink. You do. You try to put on all the stuff and then people just sneeze, right? You're like that powder old lady and she walks in and you're like, and like, I can't take that. I'm actually allergic to that. So like when the old ladies come in and they come by me, I'm like, and I'm sneezing and it's like, I can't, it just kills me. We were joking about it with our family. We went out to eat this week. My son's on spring break and we went and got pizza and that was the joke. We're like, hey, 
Mom, you can never become one of those powder ladies. We're not going to allow that. Like, not happening. And we're like, she's like, oh, I wouldn't do that. And we're all like, mm, okay, hopefully not. Right? Because we all do dumb things when we think we stink. We all do foolish things to cover it up instead of just dealing with it. And he goes on, he says, for we are not like the many who market, look at this, God's message for profit. Welcome to the United States of America and Western Christianity. Every pastor I know, unfortunately, has a hard time wrestling with profit for the gospel. Why do we need to sell books anymore? Why don't we give them away for free in PDFs? What are we doing? Like, like everything we do, it's like how to monetize the church. And then it's not monetize this church. It's like how do I get all the other churches to buy Matt's sermons? No, they're free. Take them, use them, whatever. If it's in your gun, shoot it. Great. We're not going to charge. I'm not trying to make a profit. This family supports my family because we're a family. That's how families work. I'm not going to go ask somebody else's family to pay for my family. We don't even think about this. We just do it. We don't understand how badly this stinks to the world. That the world looks at it and goes, that guy lives in a mansion and drives a Rolls Royce. Well, that's because I'm so wise and God's blessed me. That's why. I mean, can you imagine Jesus having a conversation with that guy? It would not go well. The guy probably wouldn't even let Jesus have a conversation with him. And even by saying it, you're like, man, that's kind of judgmental. No, it's just wise. I'm not trying to be judgmental. That's just foolishness. It doesn't look like foolishness. It looks like it's working really well for him. And Solomon says, be careful. That doesn't mean it's going to end well for you. And we don't even ask the question, why do we keep marketing the gospel to people? Why don't we just give it, like, there's Jesus, fear God and obey him. Do you want to fear God and obey him? No, I don't. Man, why? And have a conversation. No, we try to, like, offer them stuff and buy them in. Listen, if you try to buy someone in, you're going to have to keep buying them in. People need to just surrender to Christ because he is who he says he is. Does that mean we can't exchange money? We can't? No, I'm not saying that, but goodness gracious, I just see Jesus coming to our churches and flipping tables because he did it before when they thought they were doing it all good and the Romans were good. The Romans, literally, the Romans built them a temple. We have a national cathedral built for us. Oh, that's wonderful. And Jesus is like, nope, he's flipping tables over goes on, he says, on the contrary, we speak, look at this, with sincerity in Christ, as from God and before God. I'm just going to be as sincere as I can with you, Paul says. I'm just going to speak it like it is. Because I love you. Because I realize that I'm speaking about God to you, and I'm speaking before God, and he's watching me. And so I want to be sure that I say what's true, not just what I feel or what I think works or what I want to work. I'm going to go to the word goes on Ecclesiastes. It says, a wise man's heart goes to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. This was hilarious this morning. You all are sitting on the left. 
<laughs> it couldn't have been a better illustration. Thank you. Way to go, wise people right there. Nice job. No, I'm just kidding. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, it's the right hand of God, right? So this is the right hand of God. It's like stage left, stage right. I mean, you guys are sitting on your right, but that was foolish. You should have sat on God's right. Like, you know what I'm saying? That you should have. But a wise man's heart wants to go to where God is, where his authority and his power is. But the fool, he always wants to go the wrong way, to the left, where he's in control, where he has power. You see, the, the Bible uses this right hand, left hand thing all the way through Scripture. Actually, it's funny because someone asked me a question about this this week, but it didn't come from this passage. It was about another passage. And it just, it cracks me up how often that happens, that God will have you guys reading and you'll text me something and I'll just laugh and be like, yeah, you're going you're gonna to hear that again. I'll tell you now, but you're going to hear it again. Because look, Mark 11, 14, 61, this is Jesus at the very end of his life. He's on trial for his life and they're questioning him. They, they're beating him. They're spitting on him. And here's what he says. But he kept silent and did not answer anything. Again, the high priest questioned him. Man, we love to be questioned, don't we? We hate to be silent. We love to talk. And it says, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One, the high priest says? I am, said Jesus. When Jesus says I am right there, he literally uses the memorial Old Testament name of God that you were not supposed to speak in public. The scribes and the Pharisees knew exactly what he was saying. He said, I'm Yahweh. I'm bigger than your son of David, and I'm bigger than just your Messiah. I'm actually your God standing before you right now. See, you're looking for a son of David. You're looking for a Messiah that's like you, that'll do what you want. This one standing before you isn't doing it. And he says, and all of you will see this. He could have just stopped there, and it would have been bad. And then he doubles down. He says, and all of you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And with that, the high priest tears his robe and says, kill him. He is blasphemed. I love when people say Jesus never claimed to be God. Really? No, he, he boldly claimed to be God. And so we can't play Jesus as like a good prophet or a good person. Like you can't play Solomon as, oh yeah, he was a really great guy and he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. That was really bad. Like Jesus lays this out and he says, I'm going to sit at the right hand of God. Do you guys believe that? Because the Pharisees knew who sits at the right hand. That's the power hand. And all of them wanted to be at the right hand of God. All those scribes and Pharisees thought they were the power of God. We're going we're gonna to rule with God. We're the right hand people. And then you got the left hand people over there. But we're the right hand people. And Jesus is like, no, if you don't believe in me, good luck. You're going to be cast out. You're not going to be welcomed in. It goes on. Psalm 110 says, This is the declaration of the Lord to my Lord. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. This is King David, Solomon's father, writing a song, a psalm to God. This was one of the most problematic verses in all of the Old Testament. Because it proposes that there are two gods. The Lord, that's the word Yahweh in Hebrew, 
says to my Lord, that's the word Adonai in Hebrew, both references to God and his character and different character attributes, sit at my hand until I make your enemies my footstool. The Jewish scholars could not figure this verse out. They, they could not figure out how David could say there was a, a Yahweh and an Adonai and that one was going to sit at the right hand of the other. And how could a king understand that? Because David didn't have a Yahweh and an Adonai. David was King David. There was no one sitting at his right hand. He was King David. And David's like, no, no, no. There's a Lord that I have to submit to who then takes to the Lord. Yeah, he's prophesying in Christ. The reason you know this is true, don't take my word for it, take Jesus's. While the Pharisees were together, Jesus questioned them. What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? David's, they told him. He asked them, how is it that David, inspired by the Spirit, calls his own son Yahweh or Adonai? The Lord declared to my Lord, sit in my right hand until I put your enemies at your feet. If David calls him Lord, how, can, how then can the Messiah be his son? Um, no one was able to answer him at all, and from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. See, they thought they were wise. They thought they had it figured out. They could trap him with all these questions, and every time, Jesus was like, you don't get it because you're thinking about your answer, you being right, things working out for you, and you're not thinking about eternity, and you're not thinking about fearing God and what he wants you to do and paying the price for whatever that is when you do it. He goes on and says this, Ecclesiastes says, a wise man's heart goes to the right. Oh, sorry, I missed a couple of verses. I missed Colossians, my fault. Go back real quick. Colossians says this, so if you have been raised with the Messiah, seek what is above where the Messiah is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on what is above, not what is on the earth. That's wisdom. That's true wisdom. Don't, don't look around, look up. Focus on him. He goes on to say in Ecclesiastes, a wise man's heart goes to the right. Oh, sorry, next passage. See, this is what happens when I get off topic. Even when the fool walks along the road, his heart lacks sense. And he shows everyone he is a fool. Seems like he's going down the right road. Things seems like but then after a while, you start to see that this isn't working out like we thought it was going to work out. And the foolish decisions start to play out. And you see Solomon's wives all hate each other and want to kill each other. And you see his probably 5,000 children not getting along very well. Who's going to be king after Solomon goes? And we don't know because if he would have had one king, one wife, and had one son, it would have been a, or an oldest son, it would have been a real easy thing. King. But since you've had a thousand women, 700 wives, then which son is it going to be? See, David had the same problem, and Solomon didn't learn from David. David wanted Amnon to be king. Amnon then raped his own sister. Absalom killed Amnon for raping his sister Tamar. 
And then Absalom was so mad at his father David for not taking care of things and not doing the right thing that Absalom tried to throw over and kill David and God killed Absalom for trying to overthrow David. And David wouldn't take on Absalom because of his own guilt and because he knew he was so foolish. So he just basically turned the kingdom over to Absalom, which is what we do. And when you saw David leaving Jerusalem and walking down the road, afraid and scared, everybody was going, what a fool. Because he was. Because he had not raised his boys right. And he shouldn't have had those wives. And Solomon, instead of learning from that, doubled down on it. He didn't break the curse. And that's what happens. The longer we walk, the more of what is truly wise or foolish plays out. It's amazing to me how many wealthy people come to the end of their life by taking their life, by going to jail, or by being miserable and wish they could go back and change things. It is overwhelming because they realize I built all this and it's not going with me and what's going to happen after this? Do I have a soul? Do I live on? I'm going to be forgotten. No one will remember me. You won't? No. You see, we're the ones that are supposed to give people the hope they need in the midst of watching them and warning them and helping them and say, look, we're all fools if we don't walk with God. Be careful what road you're walking. 1 Corinthians says this, Paul says, for the message of the cross, that's the death to self, it's giving up of your life, is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it's God's power to us who are being saved. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will set aside the understanding of the experts. Have you guys watched the news lately? Everyone wants to be an expert. Everybody thinks they know. Everybody, everybody, everybody. And, oh, I didn't think about that. Oh, I didn't see that coming. Oh, they manipulated that. Oh, they got paid off there. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, at the time, they thought they were doing the right thing. Everything was working fine until all of a sudden it wasn't working anymore because they got caught. Where's the philosopher? Where's the scholar? Where's the debater of this age? Don't we love to be philosophers and scholars and debaters? And Jesus stood silent and gave a very simple answer when they asked him. He just went, I am. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to come back with power and you're not going to be ready. You might want to get ready for that. Is that not the message of the gospel? Do we look at people and say, there's a God and he is, and he's it. Fear him. And you better get ready because he's coming back. It's like the message has never changed, but we try to debate and wisdom. No, it's the same simple gospel message. That's why Paul says it's foolishness. This message of dying to ourselves, the simple message, we don't want it. We want to debate and do scholarly and everything else because we just don't like to be a fool. And if I give him this simple message, I'm going to look foolish. I know I am. I'm, it's foolishness. I get it. You're, you're going to think I'm a fool. You need to die to yourself. You need to quit doing what you, like you need to surrender to God. And you know what? When you do it, it may not get better for you. It might get worse for a while, but it's going to be great for eternity. You want to come on? I'm like, no. Okay, well, someday you might come to a point where this makes sense. And here's my number. <laughs> Give me a call. 
Instead, we want to reason and debate and try to, if I can just give them all the knowledge, I can convince them to change. You can't convince anybody to change. They have to make that decision. That doesn't mean we don't confront it and say you need to change, but they've got to make the decision in them to say, I'm going to stop, I'm going to repent, which means turn from going this way and turn to Christ. You can't make that decision. You can't reason people enough to do that. And that's what we see in our culture today. Everybody is so divided. And it doesn't matter how many facts you have and how much truth you have. They are so ingrained. They're like, I don't care because this is what I want. This is what I've decided. And I'm going to find anything that proves that. And everybody else get out of my way. I'm plowing away. That's the world we live in. We as Christians are supposed to be the one that go, yep, that's the world we live in. And you don't have to live like that. You can live fearing God and obeying Him and live for a different purpose. He goes on, he says, for since God's wisdom, look at this, the world did not know God through wisdom. God was pleased to save those who believed through the foolishness of the message preached. See, Solomon was trying to save himself being wise. Trying to save the kingdom from war by marrying women. He was trying to save everything. He was trying to do everything, to fix everything by his own wisdom. And he comes to the end of his life, and the entire book of Ecclesiastes is, it was all meaningless and futile. Man, did I miss the boat. And he's warning us not to do the same. And Paul is warning the Corinthian church the same thing. And then he says, for the Jews, look at this, ask for sign and the Greeks seek wisdom. Don't we love signs? Give me a sign, God. We love to give testimonies about signs. Oh, God worked all this out, which means it must have been his, God's, his will. Right? Maybe not. Give it 10 years. You might regret that decision. Be careful saying it's God's will just because it worked out, because that might not be the case. And it could be the case. But just give God his due. And then it says, the Greeks seek wisdom. They think that by being wise and I'm going to fix everything, but we, look at this, but we, you know what we do? Instead of trying to seek signs and work everything out and trying to really seek wisdom and working everything else, we, Paul says, preach Christ crucified. We preach, die to yourself because he died. Lay down your life because he laid down his life. That's, that's what we preach. It's a very different message than the world around us. Because the world around us doesn't like that message. It's foolishness to them. Why should I lay my life down for people that don't even care? That don't love me? Why should I stay in this marriage? It's so awful. Why should I stay in this job? Why should I do Because Because it's about me. And I'm supposed to be happy. And it shouldn't be this way. Well, because we preach Christ crucified. Are you being crucified? Yes. Wow. Good. Praise the Lord, because that means you're going to get resurrected someday. It's going to be awesome. That's not what I was hoping to hear. And then he says, look, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles, yet those who are called, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is God's power and God's wisdom, because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. That's what Solomon was just talking about. Do we believe that? I tell you, I struggle to believe it sometimes. Especially when I look at the church and I look at other churches and I think, are we just doing this all wrong? You know how many times I ask myself that on a regular basis. Like, do I have this? Am I just, are we wrong? Am I wrong? 
Like, I think I might be. Like, I need to really go to the Word. And, and then I go to the Word, and I'm like, no, no, that's right. That's, yeah, we're, okay, well, yeah, we don't do that real well, but at least I know I'm not doing it well. I'm not, like, trying to do something different. Like, okay. Like, I do, all the time, this is where I find myself. And then I have conversations with other people, and they look at me like, I don't even ask those questions. And I'm like, how can you not ask those questions? Like, they kill me every week. Like, I'm dying here trying to figure this out. And then I come to the end every week, and I'm like, well, Lord, it's Sunday again. I love you, and I'll just preach you crucified. I don't know what I'm doing. goes on, Ecclesiastes says, if the ruler's anger rises against you, remember the right hand and the left hand, don't leave your place, for calmness puts great offense to rest. There's an evil I've seen under the sun, an error proceeding from the presence of the ruler. The fool is appointed to great heights, but the rich remain lowly in lowly positions. I've seen slaves on horses, but princes walking on the ground like slaves. And you say, no, we don't see the rich. Like the rich, they get in high positions. Worldly rich people do, not spiritually rich. See, it depends on what you define as rich. And Solomon's doing that here. No, that doesn't work. Well, that's because you got the wrong definition of rich. And you got the wrong definition of poor. And you've got, like, we have the wrong definition. So it's like, there's an evil I've seen under the sun proceeding from the presence of the, the fool is appointed to great heights. Yeah, the rich fool, Solomon, gets appointed to great heights. And you, and you know what? He says, if the, if, the, if the anger rises against you, oh, don't leave. Be careful. Because if you try to run, he'll kill you. So, so be careful how you leave relationships, how you deal with authority, because be very careful, he says. And you're like, but, but the fool's in charge. And? Did we not just see the foolish high priest? Jesus didn't walk in and be like, you're the fool in charge? That's not what he said. He went in and stood silent. When he was asking questions, I'm he. I'm, I am. Goes on, he says, I've seen slaves on horses, but princes walking on the ground. Yeah, you've seen people that are enslaved to their selfish desires, their selfish wills, enslaved to ev getting everything they can out of this world. They're the ones that get promoted and are on horses. And you see those that give their life and surrender their life hanging on crosses. Solomon didn't even have that example. We do. And that's the difference between the wise and the fool. He goes on, it says, the one who digs a pit may fall into it, and the one who breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. The one who quarries stones may be hurt by them. The one who splits trees may be endangered by them. If the axe is dull and one does not sharpen its edge, then one must exert more strength. However, the advantage of wisdom is that it brings success. Define success. See, we read that and we go, yeah, success. That's what it brings. It means I'll never fall in a pit. I'll never. Nope, you probably will. I just tripped over that toe back there and they all lost it. During the middle of worship, I'm singing and I went back and I literally almost fell and went behind the chairs back there and they are all laughing their head off being like, that would have been funny. Like the fool just falls over the equipment and like done. Because I'm, you know, I'm not paying attention. It happens. And so Solomon's like, look, don't not dig pits. You have to dig pits. Don't, don't not do these things, but recognize that it might happen to you. You might fall in. These things happen to everybody. You might get crushed. You might get bit by a... Well, that's why I'm never tearing down a wall. That's why I'm never doing anything. I'm just going to sit in my house and just love Jesus. Solomon's like, no. He said, 
The advantage to knowing that you do these things and it might not turn out well for you is that you understand what true success is, which is not this life. So you may get bit and die. It's okay. You get a new body and a new life. Goes on and says, if the snake bites before it's charmed, then there is no advantage to the charmer. You see, we love to play with snakes. We love to think we can charm and manipulate and work things and keep from getting bit. And snakes bite. That's just what they do. It's what they're designed to do. That's how they eat. They got no arms to catch anything. They just bite. It's by design. And so it's like, look, if the snake bites before it's charmed, then there is no advantage for the charmer. So be careful with your wisdom, right? If you think you got charm and charisma and all this wisdom, be careful because you might not be charming. You think you're controlling the snake and it's going to come back and bite you. Because serpents bite. You see, wisdom has its advantage, but if it's not applied properly, you're going to get bit. You're going to get bit. You know what the great thing about getting bit, though, is? Numbers 21. Children of Israel are sent out. They decide to rebel against Moses. They decide to disobey. They decide to do all the stuff we do. And they sat out from Mount Hor on the way to the Red Sea by the pass of the land of Eden, but the people became impatient <laughs> because of the journey. Underline that in your Bible. That is you. That is me. This is taking too long, God. You're not doing this fast enough. I'm sick of suffering. This should be taken care of. Why is this guy in power? Blah, 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 blah. They grew impatient because of the journey. The people spoke against God and Moses, which is what Solomon said. Be careful. Don't speak against rulers. Be careful. Why have you led us up from Egypt to die in the wilderness? Are you dead? Well, no, we just think we're going to die. Doesn't look good. We're, we're taking in all the circumstances. We're figuring this out. We're going into our desert. There was food back there. This is hard. Blah, 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 blah. Do you think God could just miraculously do something if he wanted to? Well, yeah, but you don't understand. We're going into a desert. There's no water. There's a... He goes on and he says, there is no bread or water and we detest this wretched food. That was the manna that was coming from heaven, free from God, that provided all the nutrients. It's like a protein shake, like of all protein shakes. Like literally, you just went out every day, it's on the ground, you pick it up, you eat it, and you, you are healthy, wealthy, and why? You don't have to cook nothing, you don't raise nothing, like it is beautiful. And you just pick it up, and you can't keep it, it dies, right? Like it, it molds, so the next day you got to go out and get it again. You're like, man, that's just too much work. Got to go up and pick up free bread off the ground. He goes on, he says, then the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people and they bit them so that many Israelites died. How many times do you have to watch people get bit for the same stuff you're messing around with and die before you'll stop? Before you'll get help? You'll reach out? He says, the people then came to Moses and said, look at this, we have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Intercede with the Lord so that he will take away the snakes. Take the snakes away from us. They come to Moses with a plan. We recognize we're sinners. 
We recognize that you're in charge. We recognize that we need to be under authority. We recognize all of that. We see it. We understand it. We embrace that that's the way we've been. We embrace that we've not lived properly, that the generations before us did. We embrace all of that. And then they say, now, here's our plan. We want you to intercede to take the snakes away. And God doesn't do it. Look at what he does. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a snake image and mount it on a pole. When anyone who is bitten looks at it, he will recover. So Moses made a bronze snake and mounted it on a pole. And whenever someone was bitten, he looked at the bronze snake and he recovered. The snakes didn't go away. There was just a way to be saved. By the way, when you put a snake on a pole, you can't put a snake on a straight pole. You have to build a cross member to have the snake lay on. They had to look on the cross to be saved. They had to look and say, we keep getting bit. We're in a mess. It's a disaster. This stuff keeps happening. And God's like, they just look, look at the cross. Look at the cross. Look at the, it's right there. Those snakes are going to be nailed to that cross someday. It's going to be over. Like, but he didn't take away what they wanted him to take away. They had to fight. They had to endure. They had to live with the reality of the consequences of their sin until finally the snakes were gone. You see, we love to come to God with our wise plans. And when he doesn't do them, we're out of here. He goes on and says this. Do not be amazed, Jesus says, that I told you that you must be born again. Remember, Nicodemus comes and says, how do I inherit eternal life? Jesus tells him, you've got to be born again. I have told you about things that happen on earth, and you don't believe them. So did Solomon. How, you will, how, how will you believe if I tell you about the things of heaven? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Now look at the example Jesus gives when we're talking about John 3, 16, Jesus uses this example from the Old Testament when Solomon is saying, charmer and bit, look what he says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes and looks it to him will have eternal life, will have true wisdom, will get what life's about. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son that anyone who believes in him will not perish even though they keep getting bit, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world that he might bite the world, condemn the world. That's not why the snakes were sent. The snakes were sent to wake you up so you wouldn't be condemned. I wouldn't have to judge you, that you would repent but that the world might be saved through the cross, through looking at him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe, look at this, is already condemned. You're going to get bit. Because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. See, the wise person recognizes I'm going to get bit. I'm going to fall in a pit. All these things are going to happen. The fool thinks they can avoid it all. And they try like Solomon to build a life in which they avoid all the pain, they avoid all the stuff, and they come to the end of their life and they say, I didn't do anything for God. I didn't become like Christ and embrace the suffering and embrace the pain and find joy in the simple things of life. 
He goes on and says in Ecclesiastes, the words from the mouth of a wise man are gracious. That means they're full of grace. The grace of God is unmerited favor. You don't deserve it. You don't deserve to have gracious words spoken to you by wise people. They deserve to curse you because you're a fool. And yet God is gracious with us. But the lips of a fool consume him. In other words, our mouths get us in trouble. And, and you see it. You know it. You, have you ever said something and as it's going out of your mouth, you're like, no. Like, I, I need that back. Yeah. And how many times have you said something and you said it and after you were done, you're like, where did that come from? That was so gracious and amazing. I wanted to kill him. I mean, I'll never forget, I've shared this story before when I looked at Susan when she was pregnant and she was miserable. She's a miserable pregnant person and it just never went well. She just what? She'll admit it. Like she can have 10 babies. It was just labor and delivery. Her longest delivery is like 12 hours. Like, I mean, that's when we got to the hospital and got out. Like we, every baby we were ready to leave within 24 hours of the hospital. Yeah, my wife's tough. That's scary. That scared the bejeebers out of me when I was a new husband. Watch that and be like, that woman could kill me. She's way stronger than I am, right? Have a baby and we're gone? Like what? Or don't you want to stay in recovery? Nope, got stuff to do. Yeah. But I'll never forget when she was pregnant. And I was so frustrated with her talking about just her weight problems and issues. And she has a medical condition that causes problems. And, and I just looked at her in my stupidity and said, I just wish I had my skinny wife back. And there it went. It was like, that's never coming back. That's, that's forever. And every woman, when I tell them that in the room, they're all like, oh my gosh, how are you still alive? I'm like, I don't know. My, my wife allows this fool to live. So, but that's what happens. The fool is consumed by, I want my wife to be happy. I just want things to work out. And then we say stupid things thinking we're saying encouraging things, and they're not. And then he says, but in the end of his speaking is evil badness. Oh yeah, you all agree. That was evil madness, Matt. Shouldn't have said that. Yet the fool multiplies words. Thankfully, I didn't try to like explain myself. I just let it go, right? Like there's no recovery. You can't be like, well, what, what I meant was you're fat. Like, and I, that's, you, I mean, there's, there's no recovery from that statement. It's just better to be like, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm going to go outside now. Like I mean, there's nothing you can do. And that's exactly what he says here. Yet the fool keeps multiplying it. No one knows what will happen, and who can tell anyone what will happen after him? We all think we know the future. We all think we know how it's going to work out, and we don't. You don't know what God's going to do. You can kind of predict. You can know if you disobey, but sometimes God, I mean, I don't understand it half the time. I look and go, why this and why that? And God's like, do you trust me? And I'm like, okay, yeah, I do. He goes on and he says this, 2 Corinthians. Paul says, for I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy because I've promised you in marriage to one husband to present a pure virgin to Christ. But I fear that as the serpent deceived Eve by his coming, your minds may be seduced from a complete and pure devotion to Christ. For if a person come and preaches another Jesus whom we did not preach, or you receive a different spirit which you've not received, or a different gospel which you've not accepted, you put up with it splendidly. Keep the peace. Don't want to be judgmental. Don't want to be legalistic. That's unwise. Know the true gospel. 
not the false ones that are out there. We cannot save ourselves. Jesus extends his grace. We have to submit our flesh, our bodies, and surrender to him. We don't just slap his name on things and get saved. It's a serious commitment of I believe in him. And then he starts to do his work, and you're going to need the body of Christ to do the work of sanctification, but you are saved by grace through faith that not of yourselves, it's his gift. Why? Because then he creates you to be his workmanship, to use in the world to tell people about their foolishness so that they can understand the wisdom of God. That's the gospel. Don't get sidetracked by some other gospel or teaching or another jeep. Don't do it. And be careful. When we start adding things to the gospel, like, well, Jesus loves everybody. And Jesus is going to come back and destroy everyone, including you and me, by the way. No flesh survives Jesus' second coming. Even if you believe, like, the rapture, I'm going to get sucked up. You've got to go through the atmosphere. You know what happens to things when they go through the atmosphere? They burn up. He goes on. Ecclesiastes, he finishes up. He says, look, the struggles of fools weary them, for they don't know how to go to the city. Fools love to talk about all they know and everything and everything else, and they can't even get to the city. Like, you look at their life and you're like, dude, you, you want to tell people how to do things, and you, you don't even live on a budget. Like you want to tell people what to do with their money and how they should tithe and do all this stuff, and, and you don't even have a job. And you think you just pontificate and talk. and Like, no, that makes you look so foolish, and it's going to weary you. Like, you're going to be wearied by that because what's going to happen is no one's going to listen to you, and then you're going to feel unloved, uncared for, and I want out of here. And then you're going to be in a world of hurt. You don't even know how to get there, and you're telling people, like, don't, man, don't weary yourself. Don't struggle like a fool. Man, live wise in God. Fear him and obey his commands. And if you don't know where you're going, tell people, I am the worst human being on the face of the planet with directions. If you are asking me for directions, you're desperate. I mean, you are. I don't know how to get from here to there. I am terrible. And I mean, I read this verse today, I'm like, man, that's... I don't know how to get to the city. I'm such a fool. And it wearies me sometimes. It makes me so mad when I take wrong turns. You know how many times we've been driving on vacation? My wife can't sleep anymore when we're driving. It's just she can't. She's so panicked. If I go to sleep, we're going to be 30 miles, 50 miles down the highway, somewhere we're not supposed to be. And I'm like, yeah, but the scenery will be great. We'll see things we wouldn't have seen otherwise. She's like, no. And that has happened so many times. And it's a real struggle for me. Half the time I think to myself, how can I tell people about God? How can I do this? How can I, how can I be a minister when I'm such a fool and I can't even get from point A to point B? You should have that thought. And then you should say, thank you, Jesus. Because you're not a fool. If I point people to you and in your word, it'll be okay. He goes on, he says, woe to you land when your king is a youth and your princes feast in the morning. Blessed are you land when your king is a son of nobles and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. In other words, woe to you land when you have young people who fill their bellies and just want to tell you to be happy. They feast whenever, I just, just be happy, you just take what, I, like, just be abundant. And blessed are you 
When you have a king that understands his position and understands authority and says no to you, it's not time to feast yet. By the way, that's the gospel. Jesus says it's not time to feast yet. There's going to be a table one day that's set up for you, the presence of my enemy. Like, that's coming. Why do you keep trying to find the feast now? It's not ever going to come. Like, there's a reason why communion is a piece of bread and a little cup. That's not a feast, right? Even Passover, the Passover feast, wasn't much of a feast. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't, but like, it's just a little bit. Yeah, because the feast is coming. We just get a little bit now, but one day we're going to have it fully. And so are you taking this because you understand its strength to remind you of who Christ is? Or is it like, I just want to get drunk on Jesus, so give me all the bread on the table, all the communion bread, and I'm, I'm popping shots off the communion table because, man, this is going to make me... No! But that's what we do. We love to be drunk. We don't like to find strength in telling ourselves no in the proper time. And that's exactly what Christ came and did. He told his people, no, you can trust me. So everybody in the Old Testament had to look forward to the yes. We all have to look back to the yes when Jesus came into the world. And all of human history together is waiting together for God's final yes to come. Like Christianity is a religion of waiting. He goes on, he says, because of laziness, the roof caves in. And because of neglectful hands, the house leaks. You know, you may have all kinds of nice stuff and everything else, but if your roof leaks, what's it matter? You're going to have mold. You're going to be cold. But see, we don't like to take care of the roof and the leaks because those typically are hard to take care of and cost a lot. It's just nicer to have a nice couch and close that room off and we'll just be in here on the nice couch to buy the things we want instead of taking the things that we need to care for to put shelter and covering over people and to be sure that they can stay warm and not have hypothermia. God's like, man, don't, like, don't be lazy. Be thankful that you have a roof over your head, that your house doesn't leak. By the way, be thankful that you have Christ as your covering and your roof over your head and the Spirit doesn't leak out of you. You don't need to go get some more spirit. You have all you need. It ain't leaking. You just have to say, God, I'm here. You just have to show up. He goes on and says this. A feast is prepared for laughter and wine makes life happy and money is the answer for everything. Many scholars believe that Solomon is being sarcastic here. Right? He's saying, a feast is prepared for laughter. Wine makes life happy. Yeah, it does. When you're drunk, you're happy. Most, most drunk people are very happy until something happens to them and then they get mad and then they get really violent. But most drunks are happy. And money is the answer for everything. It is in this world. Like in this world, if you have a feast, like people want to laugh. Like, yes. But then he says, do not curse the king even in your thoughts. In other words, be careful you don't end up cursing. And do not curse a rich person even in your bedroom. For the bird of the sky may carry the message and a winged creature may report the matter. In other words, be careful how you handle authority. Be careful that you're not just running around all happy and laughing and running around trying to feast and trying to gather for yourself all you can and in the end, you've cursed the king and it's over. Because that's exactly what people do with Jesus. 
They run around, they're looking for the next feast, they're looking for the next thing to fill them up, the next addiction, the next thing, and they're looking that money's going to fix all these problems. And like Solomon, they come to the end of their life and they realize they've cursed the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Don't do it, Solomon says. Don't do it because it will be reported back to God Almighty. The great part about our king is he sits at the right hand and he tells us to come. So if we have done that to him, he just says, come and confess and I'll forgive you. That's the beauty of our king. He's not looking to kill. He's looking to give life. Next week, we're going to touch on this more. But in chapter 11, after you've lived a wise or a foolish life, one of the tests is chapter 11. Here's what it says. Send your bread on the surface of the waters, for after many days you may find it. Give a portion to seven or eight, even eight, for you don't know what disaster may happen on earth. You're like, what does that even mean? A wise person doesn't look to keep their bread. A wise person doesn't look to keep their portion. A wise person is a giver. And they give generously knowing that they may not have tomorrow to give because they may be done. Their disaster may come and they fall in the pit. They got bit by the snake and it's over for them. So I better give today. I better send my bread down the water and if God gives me another day, I just think he'll let me find it. He'll provide for me. So I better have the heart and the mind of a giver. Guys, this is the difference between the wise and the foolish. Let me ask you, those that are online, do you know the wise King Jesus? Do you want God's wisdom or do you want the foolishness of the world? Because God offers his son. Jesus came and lived a perfect life in full wisdom. He died to prove that all of the Bible, including the snake and the wilderness lifted up on the cross, it's all about him, every bit of it. So the question for us is, are we going to live for that eternal wisdom and that eternal glory and what we know is true about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, or are we going to live like fools and reinterpret and twist and make it a mess like Solomon did? And then we come to the end of our lives and we realize it's been futile. And we can't go back. You might be able to write a letter to warn some people, but the damage has already been done. Listen, if you're here today and you're still alive, God's not done with you. If you're online, he's not done with you. God is offering the ability for you to take the bites and the pain and everything and put it on him. And then he says, I will raise you up in wisdom and I'll give you the opportunity to be a giver to others. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to see the difference between the wise and the fool. Thank you for your love and grace that is good to us. Lord, I thank you that the theme of Scripture has been consistent all the way through. You haven't changed. Your message hasn't changed. Your purpose hasn't changed. You've just revealed a little bit more of it all the way through until you finally came. You gave us the New Testament to give us that final picture, and now we wait. And just like they waited in the Old Testament from the last book, Malachi, they waited 400 years before you came, so we wait. And so, Lord, I thank you that you give us strength, that these things are true, that we don't have to live by the world's purposes. We don't have to live like Solomon and regret it. We don't have to live without purpose and meaning. We can live for you. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that we would live 
like you lived. The most wise person to ever walk the earth. The Yahweh Adonai of the Old Testament. And we give our lives to you and allow you to give us your wisdom. Lord, help us not be foolish. Help us to believe that you will forgive us, that you can save us, that if we look on you, we can be saved. And Lord, help us then to go out and tell others that have been bitten that there's somewhere you can look to be saved. You just have to surrender. We pray all this in your name.